Loudspeaker Studios. This is Caleb Emerson, director of Die You Zombie Bastards and Frankie in Blunderland. I was also Carl Jr. in Poultry Geist. And I was also Dex Diaper in Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger Part 4. And you're listening to Talkin' Tromo with Zach Bynes. It's a good show. And welcome to episode 8 of Talkin' Tromo with your host, me, Zach Bynes. The show where me and a guest think of obscene versions of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile by watching a trauma movie and then pairing it with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. But first, let me introduce my guest. He is a filmmaker, having directed such films as Die You Zombie Bastards and Frankie and Blunderland. He fought the Toxic Avenger in Citizen Toxie and turned into a zombie chicken in Poultry Guys Night of the Chicken Dead. Let me introduce to you, Caleb Emerson. What's up, Talking Drama World? Hey, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. I gotta admit, um, we worked on Poultry Guys together, and yep. when... I first saw you on set, I totally geeked out my head from seeing you in Citizen Toxie. <laughs> Troma is weird like that. I was in Citizen Toxie for like, I don't know, three, four minutes. I mean, I'm in one scene or two scenes, but I, I'm a minor, minor character and I have like two or three lines. And uh, when you're in one of those movies, uh, any trauma movie, but especially a Toxic Avenger movie, man, people remember it forever. Well, and not only do you have, you only have two or three lines, but you have the most iconic line in that movie. Oh my God, it's the Toxic Avenger, Jonathan's favorite hideous uniform creature of superhuman size and strength. And I fell into that part. That part was uh, supposed to be played by the guy, I forget his name, but he was in Terror Firmer. Um, the guy who was Debbie Rashawn's boyfriend or something. Okay. Uh, shit, I, for, I forget his name. Um, but he was, it was, uh, uh, the Diaper Mafia was supposed to be Yaniv, Trent, and him. Because it was like three of the main guys from Terror Firmer. And it was one of those things where we had an, um, a last minute scheduled onset rehearsal where Lloyd demanded that everyone be there in costume. And when, like they found out that he decided the night before or something. And we were filming in Poughkeepsie. So someone called this guy and said, hey, by the way, you have to be in Poughkeepsie tomorrow at 8 in the morning to do this run-through. And he's like, what are you fucking talking about? No one told me about this. I can't. So Lloyd just said, fuck him. Fuck him. Have fucking Caleb do it. Have Caleb stand in. So I stood in for the, just for the rehearsal. And Lloyd said, yeah, Caleb was great. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. So <laughs> got the part. And I felt bad because the guy didn't do anything wrong. But that's, uh, that's how I wound up in that. I was a PA on the movie, by the way. That's why. I mean, I was, I was already there working. 
So I guess let's let's rewind back uh, yeah. to when did you first know about trauma movies? Uh, when I was a kid, you know, renting uh, VHS tapes when I was 12, 13, 14, like uh, Toxic Avenger and Bloodsucking Freaks and Newcomb High and all those uh, all those classics. So yeah. that would be late 80s. Would you say Toxie was probably the first one you saw or? Uh, Toxie or maybe First Turn On um, because my older brother used to have parties of kids that would come over and rent movies and he uh, would fall asleep early and then I would come down and watch movies with his friends and they rented a lot of mid to late 80s, uh, not porn, but, you know, sexy comedies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like uh, first turn on was a big one, and taking it off was a big one. I saw taking it off way too many times when I was too young to have seen taking it off. <laughs> what got you the filmmaking bug? Because I assume before you worked on Citizen Toxie, you were making your own movies. Yeah, I made you know shitty shot. Uh, my dad had a VHS uh, VHSC camera when I was a kid, and my friends and I used to make stupid things with ketchup blood and. Uh, hot dog guts and stuff like that. And then I went and studied film in college. I didn't go to film school, but I went to art school and majored in film. So I made a lot of stuff in college, which is how I wound up uh, hooking up with trauma. Right. Um, I guess I would have been a senior right when Lloyd's first book came out, the one with James Gunn. Um, he was doing a book tour and I went and to get his autograph uh, at, a, at a book signing in Boston and brought him a VHS tape of some of the 16 millimeter shorts I made in college. And I was right before they shot Citizen Toxie. Did you find out about working on Citizen Toxie from that meeting or was it well, like poultry guys no, where they had a casting call out? No, it was, I, I, they, they, I kind of wound up on Citizen Toxie because the, the guy, Joe Cortez, who was doing acquisitions for Tromo, I think was sick of me calling him because I, I gave Lloyd that tape for no reason other than that I was a fan. And I said, I want Lloyd to see my movies. And, you know, uh, there was no internet really back then. So there wasn't much of a market for short films. I just wanted him to see them. And a few weeks after I gave him that tape, someone joe uh from from trauma called me and said hey we're actually thinking of putting out a compilation of short films and we want to include one of your short films on it and i said fuck yeah so um i signed a deal with them and went to new york took the bus i didn't need to i could have just shipped it but i wanted an excuse to go yeah. and i took the bus uh, to the old trauma building and brought all my deliverables and um you know, sign for them to distribute my short film. And then a few months went by and I would call Joe and be like, Hey, when's that coming out? And he was like, I don't know, in a few months. And then I would call back a few months later and go, Hey, when's that coming out? And I don't know. I don't know. And then finally, one of the last times I called him, he's like, I, I have no idea when or if this is ever coming out, dude, but this summer we're making a new toxic Avenger movie. You want to come work on it? And I went, fuck yes. I want to come work on a toxic <laughs> Avenger movie. And I quit my job and that would have been 1999. And I went and spent the summer um, in Poughkeepsie. And then it did wind up coming out because they, that was before they had had any trauma dance festivals. Okay. And then uh, I don't remember that would have been like 2000 or 2001. They had the first trauma dance film festival ever. And they played my short film in that. 
and then released a VHS compilation called The Best of Trauma Dance. And then that, that had one of my shorts on it. And that, that short is Red's Breakfast. Red's Breakfast 2. 2. Dawn of the Red. <laughs> I, so when I was in high school, um, I picked up The Best of Trauma Dance Volume 1. And yep. it's, it's a fun, if anybody out there hasn't picked, picked it up, it's one of the better of the Best of Trauma Dance Yeah, uh, great. Ada Marb's film is on there, and uh, Cyrus Health's uh, Zit Lover, the, uh, the, that Psychotic Odyssey of Richard Chase. There's really good stuff on it. But your your short is one of the movies that made me want to make movies, and just seeing that there's somebody else out there who appreciated Texas Chainsaw Massacre like <laughs> I did, <laughs> and like the that's awfully know that. <laughs> like I thought it was so. So funny. Um, I even referenced Red's Breakfast in a short film I made. Um, Get out. Yeah. So there's there's a shot in your in your uh, film where the actress um, takes a drag off of a cigarette and flicks it, and then she just like crushes it out on the ground after flicking it like twenty feet away, and she's just right. like crushing nothing. And I thought that was the funniest thing. So in um, my short uh, Unicorn. Uh, we have, I have my friend, uh, partner, filmmaker, Richard Taylor. He does the same thing as a direct, you know, homage or ripoff oh. from Red's Breakfast. I love it. Well, so. thank you. <laughs> and and that was and that was before we even came to Poultry Guys. <laughs> so <laughs> so it was, yeah, kind of like, a, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, that warms my heart. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> uh, on Citizen Toxie, how long was that shoot? Uh, fuck. Uh, I was there for probably, I don't know, six or eight weeks of pre-production maybe. And then it was like a month of shooting or, you know, five or weeks or six weeks or something like that. Probably similar to, to poultry guys, but I was there all, the whole summer. Um, so a while I lived, you know, at the beginning when I first went, they were still in, New York. They hadn't gone to the location yet. So they had a rented office. I had never really spent much time in New York. So I don't know exactly what the neighborhood was, but it was kind of gross. Yeah. They had, a, they had a rented office where they, you know, had a makeshift production office where they were having uh, auditions and stuff. And I went and I just slept there because uh, I had, had nowhere, to, nowhere else to go. So I slept there for, I don't know, two, two weeks maybe. And there was no shower or <laughs> no <laughs> no anything really it was pretty fucking gross uh and we had to do a couple trips up to poughkeepsie for like location scouting and stuff and i feel like i took the train to those and then we moved into uh poughkeepsie and there were two main locations they rented one like in a like a abandoned or not abandoned but vacant office building so there was like a bunch of little offices and a gym style shower where mostly everyone lived. There was probably like, I don't know, 30 or 40 people living there. And then there was another space where there was a production office and they built a few sets in it. And there were like the five or six of the uh, elite types got to stay there. So like halfway, <laughs> through, I wound up getting to stay there, but like that's where Trent lived. 
and Patrick, the producer, and you know the not the elites, but the the older the older people, the, the on the non nineteen and twenty year olds, <laughs> the the alumni. <laughs> Was the living living conditions on Citizen Toxie were those pretty similar to Poultry Geist? On Poultry Geist, for those out there, we all lived in a in an abandoned church uh, with one shower. Uh, well, I mean, Poultry Geist at least the it was a livable building i mean it wasn't like rat infested or rotten i mean it was kind of the one bathroom thing was pretty fucking rough but poultry guys wasn't really that bad citizen toxie was pretty bad i mean (laughs) it seemed like it from the behind the scenes on there like it's like it looks like we had a little bit better living condition on poultry guys (laughs) yeah the bathroom the living conditions on poultry guys weren't that bad um citizen and i also i feel like citizen toxie uh, I, I feel like there were a lot more people do you think I mean, they long, uh long. maybe pared down some of those just the amount of people from i mean this is just me going from the documentary but it seemed like there was a lot more drinking and fighting that happened on citizen yes even poultry guys yeah there were, it was it was way worse but it didn't affect me as much because i didn't have as uh as high a position on it so um, it was more fun, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I can't imagine having been being Patrick or Trent on that production because they were in charge of everyone, whereas I was in charge of no one. And then on Poultry Guys later, I wound up being in charge of people. But I think Gabe and Andy and Kyle and I ran a much tighter ship than than they did on Citizen Toxie. Not because of anyone's fault. It was just a way more chaotic production. There were a lot more. Uh, locations and a lot more characters and a much bigger cast and way more that could go wrong. Because we really only had, other than the couple of uh, sets at the church we lived in, maybe three locations total. Yeah. And honestly, not not that much drama <laughs> on Poultry Guys. There was some, but like Citizen Toxie, like, like you just mentioned, there were a couple fights I feel like there were a lot more people fucking each other, which winds up causing problems down the road. And uh, it was much more of a mess. A lot more people got fired. I mean, that's why at the beginning, the first couple weeks, I was a PA just doing whatever. I did like the boom in some points and I helped with some art stuff. And like two weeks into production, maybe, or maybe it was even a week or, week or two into shooting, there was like a mass... Uh, boiling point where a bunch of people got fired and a bunch of people quit all on the same day. And it seemed like the movie was going to shut down or something. And Lloyd, of course, just said, fuck it, fuck them all. And, and just picked a few of the PAs who he thought were the most uh, conscientious and sort of promoted us and said, all right, you're going to do his job. You're going to do her job. She's going to do that job. And fuck it. We're going to keep going. And, that's why I wound up do, being the casting director, which, I mean, the movie was already cast, but um, I was doing a lot of casting of, like, bit parts and extras and stuff like that. Actor person. All the actor persons. Yeah. He wound up rehiring the girl who he fired to assist me to make, <laughs> to make, to make sure that I was doing her job correctly which made me feel kind of bad, but uh, I guess he fired her, but she didn't want to leave. So he said, fine, you can stay, you can stay around, but you have to help Caleb do your job. Oh, jeez! I, I heard at one point, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you don't know, but um, I heard that Dave Brocky 
who was Odorous Eurungus and Guar was supposed to play the Toxic Avenger. Do you know if that's accurate or not? Yeah, he was, I mean, I don't know how far it went, uh, but he was supposed to, from what I remember, he was supposed to play the Noxious Defender. There, uh, which wound up, Dave Maddy wound up playing both, but there was going to be different people playing Toxie and Noxie, the the you know alternate universe version. So Dave Brocky was going to be the bad Toxie. And from what I remember, he was in rehab or AA or something at the time. And I think that that was sort of newish for him. So he said he wanted to do this, but like one day a week or something, he had to be brought back to someplace for meetings or something like that. Something yeah. very honorable that he needed to do and, and Lloyd wouldn't, uh, wouldn't accommodate, so he didn't do it. They were gearing up for Citizen Toxie to be a much bigger production and more of a celebration of trauma than it wound up being. Like he, Dave Brocky was going to be Noxie and uh, Jenna Jameson was going to be playing Sarah. Oh, and she, I guess... Uh, and again, I don't know how far this went, but I know that people were talking to her and um, she objected to the rape scene where Sarah uh, gets raped and said that she was going to be in it, but didn't want to do the rape scene. And Lloyd doesn't like anyone to sort of object to anything. I mean, not, not, that, not in a cruel way, but just in a, if people start making demands in advance, uh, I think that really turns him off and, and makes him think it's not worth it. Yeah, they'll they'll go back they'll go back on stuff later down the yeah. road when they're already on yeah. film. That, I mean that that's the impression that I got in from what I remember, and that was just people talking in the office. I don't know. Uh, uh, that was all stuff that happened before I got there. And then on you came back for Poultry Guys first. Uh, talk about like what made you even want to come back because working on a trauma movie is a pretty grueling and hellish experience. Like. I liken, you know, the only people who can relate to somebody who worked on a trauma movie is somebody else who worked on a trauma movie. <laughs> that is true. Almost like if, if you go to, uh, if you were in the Vietnam War, you could probably relate to somebody in the Korean yep. War. So, uh, what made you want to totally, go back? It's totally a, like a, in a fraternity in that way. And that when you meet someone who's done it, even if you don't know them, there's kind of an instant... Uh, nod of recognition they're like yeah you you know what it's about <laughs> yeah you've been through um, this what, shit. <laughs> yeah. um but what i don't know I, I i can't think of a of a happier time in my life than working on citizen toxie so um i sort of went there i'd finished film school finished um and i went to citizen toxie to learn how to make a movie because i wanted to make my own movie and right after citizen toxie i did I spent a couple of years making a movie and right around the time that I finished it, um, I had done a couple other things with trauma over the years. Like Lloyd came twice to the road. I lived in Providence, Rhode Island at the time and he came and did uh, master classes at the Rhode Island film festival. And I was sort of his local guy who he would have come drive him around and help out. So I was in touch with them still. And I had just finished my movie in 2000, the beginning of 2005, Die Zombie Bastards, and I wanted um, to try and sell it. And I saw Lloyd somewhere. Um, oh, I flew to AFM. I flew out, because uh, he said, 
uh, if you, you can come try and sell your movie at AFM, if you also come, I'll pay for your trip or I'll let you give you a hotel room or something. If you come work for us in the trauma booth at AFM, and then you can also spend some time go, trying to sell your movie. So awesome. I said, yeah, I had never been to LA. So, um, I came out and, uh, spent a few days at AFM and that was right when they were gearing up doing pre-production for uh, poultry geist and Lloyd asked me, he said, you want to come do it? He always, he would always d dangle the James Gunn carrot. He would say, you want to come be the AD? You can be the James Gunn. You can be the James Gunn of poultry guys. You want to come be the James Gunn? And, uh, and here, here's the script, pick any part you want. And he gave me the script and I said, well, clearly I want to be Carl Jr. Even though I'm <laughs> too old, he's supposed to have just graduated high school. And I was, I don't even know how old I was 28 or something. I yeah. already, already bald, but, um, he let me do it. And, um, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> I probably would have done a third one if there was, if there was one soon after poultry geist. I would have definitely been on another one soon after poultry geist as well. I was supposed to work you know, on return to Newcomb high, but you know, shit happens. <laughs> I went up and was in return to Newcomb high for one day and, and I mostly got cut out. I'm in there for a second, but, um, I didn't want to be that. I had been on the other side of this enough times to not want to be the guy who keeps calling, being like, hey, Lloyd says I can be in the movie. Find something for me to do. Find something for me to do. But I called and talked to like Zach, I think, and maybe Justin and said, tell me to fuck off if you don't have anything for me. But I'd love to come up for a day or two or something if there's a small part. And if there isn't, just tell me and it's fine because I don't want to be that guy. And they were like, no, no, you, you would be great. You need to come up. So I went up and uh, a already tiny part shrunk even more while I was standing there. And then it shrunk even more. And then I wound up only having like two lines and both of them got cut. But you do see a shot of, of you as a security guard at Trumbleville yeah. High. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was Zach said he, I, I play this character Peanut, who's a cop in Die You Zombie Bastards. And then he's a security guard in Frankie and Blunderland. And then he's also a cop in Hamburger the Rapist. And, I, and he, he thought, thought that character was funny or something. And he said, I'll oh, come up and be a school security guard and be Peanut. Can you like if, shave a mustache and be that guy? So I said, sure. But then I did. And it was a huge waste of time. <laughs> I, I will say, because I am a fan of Red's Breakfast as well, and, and you, you play a police officer who I always assumed was Peanut in, in Red's Breakfast too. So yeah. I did appreciate the reference in return on Newcomb Hive. So maybe that joke is I'm glad. me and Zach. <laughs> All right. Glad so if anyone noticed it, I would love it. But no, so far, no one has said, oh, I saw you in Newcomb Hive. So let's talk about uh, your movies. Well, our, let, let's talk, I guess, a little more about uh, Poultry Geist real quick. So yep. you're playing Carl Jr. Um, and you have to fuck a chicken. When you yeah. saw the behind the scenes where Richard was like, there might be spiders in that chicken <laughs> that was like in between your legs. What'd you think about that? <coughs> I have no memory of that. What, 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 uh, the rubber chicken? Yeah. So the, like the demon one, um, yeah. there, and I just watched this a few weeks ago, so it, I forgot all about it, but there's a demon chicken that, that, that you're fucking, and yeah. it was sitting in the basement of the church, which the basement where we made the blood was pretty gross. Um, yeah. 
and Richard's like, I think they're, he's like, I had to clean a bunch of shit out of there. I think there's some spiders inside that chicken. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> I saw that on the behind the scenes. So I guess that's news to you here. Well, I mean, <laughs> someone said it to me at the time. I must have known it, but I don't remember. Or do we, did he say it to me or did he just say it to the camera or something? I don't know. I think he might have been there, but he might have just said that to, uh, to the camera. <laughs> I made that chicken, by the way. Oh, really? That's, I, I like the look of that chicken. It's fun. Yeah, before I, before I came out, Andy knew that I did some special effects and asked if I could make some chicken. So I baked a, a whole chicken and cast it and then cast a bunch of like KFC and made a bunch of the molds of the, uh, of the chicken that they wound up using. So most of that uh, chicken, <coughs> almost that chicken that was on set, you cast, I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know if it was most of it, but some of it. I mean, I made, I made a bunch and brought it, and then I brought the molds and donated them and said, here, use these to make as many, like, drumsticks and stuff as you want. I don't remember anybody casting any more chicken when I showed up. I remember them Well, then those the are for me. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, how was it juggling, you know, the house filled with punk rockers or, or film nerds and uh, – you know, acting side of stuff. I mean, it was okay. I tried not to, I mean, for, for the sake of trying to, I, I was a terrible AD, but for, for the sake of trying to do that job as, as good as I can, I, I tried not to participate into too much socializing with everyone. Yeah. Uh, just cause I didn't want to be a wet blanket. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so mo- Mostly just hung out with Gabe and Andy and Kyle because I was either working on set every single day or getting a tiny bit of sleep. So I I don't know. I don't, did I man, I I don't think I managed anyone off set is what I mean. And I didn't really spend a ton of time with anyone off set. I either tried to manage the set and then as far as like, kids in the house and what was going on that that was Gabe and I'm uh Andy and Kyle Kyle uh, Walker yeah that's kind of and you got to live in the the upperclassmen area at the church (laughs) in Andy Deemer's closet I ended up sleeping under uh the general's desk that sounds right so that was kind of nice. Like my head was under his desk. All the blood boys, like we had enough room just to put our heads under the desk and our feet were all sticking out. But that was the most privacy you got on <laughs> on, on the, the church. <laughs> that sounds right. The, the poo-poo day with Joe Flyshaker. Yeah. Pretty rough. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that day? <clears throat> well, Joe was in pretty rough physical shape at that point, and he was not very mobile. I feel like he had he had, he had a did he have a walker or canes? Or he he couldn't really move around much. And most of the scenes where he's supposed to be standing and talking, he had to have someone could have put a stool under him because he couldn't stand for very long. And I don't know if if he hadn't been told exactly what was going to be expected of him in the bathroom or if he just thought he was going to be able to work around it. But he went in there and as soon as, from what I remember, as soon as Lloyd said, okay, now you fall on the floor and start rolling around. And Joe was just like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to 
severely hurt myself. And, and then what happened? They just hired Ron to do it. Right. Yeah. He was, from what I remember, he's just one of the actor persons who showed up all the yeah. time. And he, it, he's a real heavy guy. I mean, nowhere near Joe size, yeah. but he seemed happy to do it. And uh, so they just, did they, I don't even remember. Did we get Joe on the ground? We must've gotten Joe on the ground at some point to get shots of his face, but none of the rolling around or flip, or he couldn't flip over. Is that what it was? So maybe that's why we got Ron to flip to roll around and stuff. I know there's like, yeah, one shot and everybody had a like help kind of hoist him to the floor. I mean, he was pleasant about it. He wasn't like a diva, but he was just like, listen, I can't do this. Like if I get down, I'm not going to be able to get back up. (laughs) That was probably one of those uh, safety to humans. Yeah. Uh, Moments just, that was totally definitely really pushing it. <laughs> yeah, he was a really sweet guy. Yeah, he was he was awesome. That and then the effects just didn't work right either. The the shit cannon? Yeah. I remember Lloyd yelled at me, uh I had a baby Ruth, but it wasn't the king size baby Ruth. But it wasn't a fun size either. It was just a regular yep. baby Ruth, but he was pissed. He was like, You went to Columbine. They didn't teach you anything. That's not a good piece of shit. <laughs> like, I remember you and Gabe after after he said that you looked at me like, "Are you gonna quit?" And I was like, "I didn't go to Columbine." <laughs> that sounds right. But he, uh, yeah, that's what he he felt felt like on there. Well, he, here's something that I don't know if you know, and the people out there don't know. Um, so all the trauma brought all these body parts from the offices. Um, okay. And being a blood boy, they wanted me to go through them to see what we could use hook blood tubes up or whatever for the huge massacre scene so like they had um from citizen toxie trent haga's like chest that burst open that was in there but none of this stuff has been washed since citizen toxie (laughs) okay those rough we ended up not using most of it because it was just too disgusting however in all that stuff i found the infamous leg from redneck zombies Okay. With the boot and like the sweatpant. And so I kept trying to use it um, in the movie. Was it the real one or was it like a, did they remake it for something else? No, it was the real one. Cause it was like in all the stuff from Citizen Toxie and I know it made its way in there. So it, uh, I kept trying to have people hold it. Um, They were like, give them guts or something. So I kept trying to get people to hold it. And then Lloyd got really mad at me. He's like, why is this shitty looking leg here? And I was like, that's the one from Redneck Zombies. And he's like, well, fuck it. We already shot something else. So <laughs> it never made it in the movie. And I'm pretty sure somebody stole it because it's like never. Oh, I got a bunch of stuff from Poultry Guys that's actually now in Tom Devlin's Monster Museum in uh, Boulder outside of Vegas. Have you been to Tom's Museum? I need to. I want yeah, to. I- I kept a bunch of the eggs and my costume and a bunch of stuff. And he has a whole little display there of, of my stuff. I, I took a egg, a chicken fetus, which never ended up making it in the movie. I took a bunch of like uh, the fast food boxes, but those ended up, you know, just giving to friends and stuff. Yeah. I ended I've, up with a whole roll of chicken bunker stickers, but those are about gone at this point. I've got uh, some Citizen Toxie stuff, too. I have the the TPPS flag, like the giant red Nazi flag with Toxie's face on it. I have I took that. 
Oh, and sweet. I have armband and uh, yeah, Joe James was one of those guys. Joe James, who wound up playing the other cop in Die You Zombie Bastards, who is now dead. Sadly, he died. I don't know, two or three years ago. Well, since you brought up Die You Zombie Bastard, let's talk about that movie. So it is a sequel to Red's the Red's Breakfast uh, shorts. Sort of, yeah. I mean, I I made uh, there's a a real short called Red's Breakfast that's like five minutes long, and it's just this guy waking up in the morning and pulling up, um, uh, very inspired from uh, Blood Sucking Freaks, just pulling a, a lady out of his closet and cutting open her stomach and eating her guts. And then um, there's a part two where we sort of learn more about that guy and he meets a girlfriend. And then there's a part three, which is a whole story, like a whole feature length story, but I framed it like uh, an old chapter serial. And I only shot chapters one, six and 12. So it's the beginning, middle and end of a feature. And then I made a proper feature that included stuff from all three of those re- redone and then filled in all the, the gaps and turned it into a semi-real movie. And that came out, uh, premiered in 2005, came out on DVD in 2007 and will be coming out soon from Troma Now. <laughs> Finally, I, I remember asking you on Poultry Geist if uh, Troma was putting out Die Zombie Bastards and you're like, no, they're not going to put it out. <laughs> they, I mean, they offered, but Lloyd wouldn't give me any money. And he, yeah. he, he just said, come back. If, if you can't find anyone else, we'll totally release it. But find someone who will give you some money. Someone will give you some money for this. And someone did. And we got um, uh, fucked over by, well, a, a bigger uh, bigger distributor who we thought was going to be a better deal going with the bigger distributor, but they totally ignored it and never paid us anything and fuck them. And we had a 10-year deal with them that just ended a couple years ago. And the movie's been unavailable since then. And now uh, Trauma is... Uh, putting it out just streaming it's still exciting though because that's that's one i always tell people to to watch it's i like your music choices in that movie oh thank you um you have hazel atkins in there which is pretty awesome yeah and jamie gillis yes who who kind of weaves in and out of the movie we're going to talk about tonight like behind the scenes i've read a little bit Um, about Bloodsucking Freaks? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. Uh, he's like friends with the director. <laughs> yeah, well, he was in Night of the Zombies by the same director, by Joel Reed. And I guess he was living with the lead actress at the time of making Bloodsucking Freaks. Sure, I mean, well, he lived in New York and he was involved heavily in the porn scene and there's a lot of uh, porn people in Bloodsucking Freaks and he was involved heavily in the S&M scene which has a lot to do with Bloodsucking Freaks. And he was involved in the theater scene. He was uh, an off-off Broadway actor, so it would make sense that a lot of Jamie Gillis <laughs> weaves in and out of Bloodsucking Freaks, much like his character Stavros weaves in and out of Die Zombie Bastards. And I I love, uh, I just remember like the giant like kind of mosquito monsters mm-hmm. that, that attack everybody. It's... <clears throat> When you when you hear the title "Die You Zombie Bastards," like it wasn't what I was expecting the movie to be, but it yeah, was a, a lot movie. more fun 
than I was thinking. I was uh, going from Red's Breakfast, I was thinking it might be, you know, more of like a brutal one, but it is just like a riot. Like, I had such a good time watching that movie. Well, thank you. Here's what's funny. I made that movie because at the time I was trying to think of what to make. And I said, no one has made a zombie movie in like 15 years. <laughs> and no one makes superhero movies anymore. I don't even care about superhero movies. I just thought it was funny that there hadn't been a superhero movie in 20 years. So in like 1997 or whenever, eight, whenever we started writing that, there had been no zombie movies or no superhero movies. And by the time it actually got finished and released, um, the world did not want any more zombie movies or superhero movies. <laughs> that, that, that happened with our movie, Adam, the amazing zombie killer. By yeah. the time it finally found distribution, it's like, well, great. We, I wish we didn't make a fucking zombie <laughs> movie. Nobody when, wants to see that. I just watched that the other day. When did you shoot that? Um, so we shot that uh, starting in like 2009, and it okay. took us four years to shoot. Okay. Um, shoot and edit and all that. I couldn't weekend. for the life of me. I was, I was watching and I was going, if you told me this was shot in 1996, I'd believe you. But if you also told me we shot it last year, I'd believe you. And I could not figure out at all when it was from. So That's because we didn't know how to use an HD camera. And I don't <laughs> mean that as a criticism. It was just, it was, I couldn't figure it out. We, um, that was one thing we actually tried kind of intentionally. We made sure no one was really wearing any logos and yeah. just kind of went for an everyday look, <laughs> sort of like what they did in Evil Dead with like sure. Bruce Campbell's clothes where you can't quite tell when it's supposed to be. And then, and then you made another movie, uh, which you had some uh, Poultry Geist alums help out on, uh, Frankie in Blunderland. Yeah, I met. Um, did you did you uh, encounter Marta much on Poultrygeist? I was gonna ask. So that was the that was Marta from Poultrygeist. Yeah. Who Marta, the lady uh, Marta Estorado, who came to Poultrygeist to be a PA, and she wound up being in the makeup department. I didn't really talk to her much. She wasn't there that long. Uh, she was super nice, but very shy, a little awkward. And um, a few people came to us, me and Gabe and Andy, and were like, listen, this girl, like, she was doing makeup, like beauty makeup on the actors, but she chain smoked. And a couple of the actors were like, listen, she, she comes to do my makeup and it's really gross because her hands really smell. From cigarettes, and she's kind of creeping us out. And I was like, "Oh, but she's super nice." And they were like, "Yeah, she's making us uncomfortable." And I had to like go talk to her and be like, "Listen, I don't know the nice way of saying this, but can you not chain smoke before you do people's makeup? And how do you tell someone to not be awkward? You know, yeah. like, but but she just she 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 made some people uncomfortable, and then she wound up going home, and I felt super bad." because she didn't do anything wrong. She was just a weirdo. Like we're all weirdos, but she was her own kind of weirdo. And, um, she was actually one of the first people I met, um, when I arrived in Buffalo, uh, yeah. she kind of showed me and uh, Richard around the, the house a little bit. She was there she was think, a... maybe like three hours before we were, which is like three weeks in trauma time. Sure. Um, 
and I didn't hear from her for a long time. And then she wrote to me a couple of years later um, and said that she saw my, she saw Die Zombie Bastards and really loved it. And I was already in LA at the time. I moved to LA in 2007. And she said, I wrote a script. Can I send it to you? And I was like, sure. I, I can't do anything for you. Like I am out here and I don't have a job. But so if you're trying to like, uh, get me to get it to someone no but you can just send it to me she's like no i just want to send it to you because i love your movie and i want to know what you think of it so she sent me frankie in blunderland and it was nuts the script is way more nuts than the movie if you can believe it um and i told her i was like listen this is great i love it but you're never going to sell this. I got if that's what you're looking to do and she said no it's not what i'm looking to do i just wrote the script and I don't remember what she said. And then like a year later, I got this, I got an itch to make another movie. And I said, I bet I could rewrite this a little bit to make it make a little more sense. I wonder if she'll let me do it. So I asked her and she said, yes. And um, we spent a long, much like you're, you were just saying how it took you four years to make uh, Adam, the amazing zombie killer. Die zombie bastards took like four years too and cost by my standards at the time, a shitload of money because we shot it on film and we had investors and stuff. So I said, I'm going to make another movie that is not like that. I'm not going to spend hardly anything on it and I'm just going to make it for fun. So I made that and um, she died while the movie was still being filmed. She did come out to LA once and played a little part in it. Um, but yeah, that's 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 what Frankie in Wonderland is. Marta wrote it. I rewrote it a little bit and shot it. Uh, who else was from? Uh, Carius is in it. And didn't Tom Devlin help with some oh, yeah. effects on it? Yeah, and he's and he acts in it too. Tom is hilarious in the movie, and he made like the puppet kid, and he made a bunch of the effects. And then Marta and I, I loved that script so much. I, we were going to do a follow-up right afterwards. Um, she and I were co-writing a feature-length script called Hamburger the Rapist. And she wrote an outline of what it was going to be about. And we're like, she and I came up with, I don't even remember now, but she and I came up with an outline and she was going to start writing the script and then she died. And I never saw anything she wrote beyond the outline. And then several years later i got asked to do a fake trailer for that uh grind exploitation which they're now on like volume 37 of or something yeah. where uh people are making but this was the first one a guy said will you make a fake trailer for this compilation that's all fake trailers and i said sort of as a tribute to marta uh i'll make a trailer for hamburger the rapist the movie that we were gonna make as the follow-up to frankie and blunderland because i didn't feel right writing a whole script at yeah. least at the time. Now I'm thinking about it. But at the time I said, I don't know what she was going to come up with, but I'll just take what she and I already did come up with and make a trailer for a fake movie. So we, I made a trailer for Hamburger the Rapist that's on Grindsploitation Volume 1. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Hamburger the Rapist a little bit later okay. in the show. That kind of wraps up the first part of the show. Um, sure. Let's, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's talk about Joel M. Reed's 1976 film, Blood-sucking freaks.
created to torture the body of woman. Yes, torture, and torture, and torture, but keeping that once beautiful body alive so it can suffer more, and more, and more. But if you are skeptical or bored, then just pretend that what you see is real. Possessed by his evil, the tortured become the torturers. He turned young virgins into flesh-eating cannibals and set them loose in a frenzy of pain-filled orgies. Sardou, he was the creator and the director. He was the master of Blood-sucking freaks. A show that will make anyone wretch. Here's what Lloyd Kaufman says about blood-sucking freaks in his book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking, I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. Warning, this film is set in a Grand Guignol-type sadomasochistic theater is only for the demented, even among trauma fans. Probably the most fucked up in the trauma catalog. If you're into brainwashing, caged naked teenage girls, dental hygiene snuff films, sucking brains through straws, and what some say is an utter lack of socially redeeming values, this work of art is for you. Bloodsucking Freaks is the single film in the trauma library I feel queasy about distributing. I may have possibly secured my place in hell just by watching it. It's one of those rare films that is actually more offensive now than it was 25 years ago. Bloodsucking Freaks. I hadn't seen this one in a while. What, do you remember the first time you watched Bloodsucking Freaks? I sure as hell do. I had read about it in like Fangoria or Gorezone or something when I was a kid. And I remember reading about how it was like the most offensive movie ever. And it was picketed at the theaters and stuff because it was so horrible. And none of the few video stores in my town had it. And I, it was on my short list of movies I was dying to see. And then one day I was hanging out with, do you, did you ever watch that show that was on Comedy Central a couple of years ago the, about Trump, where they had like the Trump impersonator? Yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Trump, Anthony Atamanek, he's a uh, comedian, like a sketch, com a sketch comedian. Uh, I went to middle school with that guy and we were friends and he worked at a video store uh, and he lived a few towns over and the video store that he worked at had it. And he said, even though it was like X rated or no one under 18 allowed to rent it, that he could get it because he worked there. And one day I was at his house and he went and got it and we watched it at his house. 
and uh, it did not uh, disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> My so the first time I watched the movie, I I was getting pretty high on the the trauma train at that point. Yep. Um, I seen Cannibal the Musical and the Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Frostbiter, and I read Lloyd's book. And he talks about it being super extreme. And it's like, oh, man, I got to see this movie. Keeping in mind the stuff I've seen before is, yep. you know, class of Newcomb High type things. <laughs> and then I found it at a Suncoast video. So that and the Toxic Avenger 2, I found both on tape. So I brought it home. I'm like, double feature. I watched Toxic Avenger 2. It's like, all right, time for blood-sucking freaks. This is going to yeah. be so much fun. <laughs> and that's when I realized that not every movie that Troma puts out has that same it's trauma fun. tone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, watching it now, it's so much different now. And I don't know if it's just because I'm older or the movie's way older. It's... I had no idea at the time that this was a uh, satire about the off-Broadway theater scene in New York because I didn't know anything about that. All I knew about it was the, was how Troma marketed it. Yeah. Which is like screaming cages of screaming naked virgins. And watching it now, it's the fucking least erotic thing ever. Yeah. But it was like 13 or something. I was like, this movie's amazing. It's got 100 naked women in it. And watching it now, I'm... I, I don't believe I even saw it then. <laughs> yeah, my this rewatch of it, the humor hit me a lot harder than it has in the past before. It's like, all right, well, here's the brain sucking scene or, you know, but, you know, hearing the jokes about like the William Morris agency, I don't think yeah. I ever picked up on before. No, I didn't even know what that was. That's like, that's really funny. <laughs> it is. So it's just some facts that I dug up before we kind of, go into the plot of the movie um so apparently when trauma bought the rights or there's it, i got a, a lot of information um from this book called bloodsucking freak which uh, you mm -hmm. also read by, I did. by john and i'm gonna butcher that last name spuzner i'm gonna say uh, but it's a book where he interviews joel m reed and they go into each of his um, movies. So there's definitely some debate over how Troma got the rights to this movie. Right. Which is kind of interesting. It would, because Joel Emery doesn't seem like a reliable source of information in 1970s. Lloyd also doesn't seem like a pretty reliable source of information either. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I, according to Lloyd, when they got the movie, it was like a rough edit of of the film so they got the the editor for the toxic avenger and class of newcomb high richard haynes to uh reassemble the movie to how joel m reed wanted it um, right yes he also does a voice that says blood sucking freaks in the trailer but joel m reed says this never happened and he gave trauma a completed film so well, it's already been released it had been out for a couple years when trauma got it yeah, as the, the Incredible it. Torture Show. Yeah, I've got a one sheet for So not only had it been out, but it had been advertised and marketed, and I think it had played for a couple of years. So I don't know who's I don't know who's got it wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> they there's definitely a scene that was cut out because on the new Trauma Blu-ray, um, there is a there's the original title card and and a scene of 
of Ralph is getting a blow jay, uh, which was not in any of the versions I ever seen before. No, me either. But, and my first thought was, oh my God, how would they, how could they cut this out? But then I was discussing it with my wife. I ca- called my wife and I said, you got to see this. Cause I, um, I said, how well she, uh, she doesn't always like the same kind of movies as me, but I know that she saw blood sucking freaks. And I said, how well do you remember blood sucking freaks? And she said, Oh, I remember it. Well, (laughs) okay. I want to show you this deleted scene. So I showed her the deleted scene and we were both, and she was like, wow, okay. That sort of changes a lot. And I went, it does change a lot. How on earth could they cut this out? But then I'm thinking about it and I'm like, of course they cut it out because they were trying to market this as a, hot, sexy women in cages movie. And if 10 minutes in or 15 minutes in, there's suddenly a gay scene, it, 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 it changes the, the dynamic a lot if that's how you're trying to market this movie. Well, and it's crazy too, because like that scene is maybe like two minutes long at the most, yeah. but it changes the tone of the entire and, film. Yeah, and his performance, do you love me? It's real weird. And it makes all, their, all of their other interactions totally different like when he when he has ralphus come have the women whip him and he switches the keychain and all that stuff it it changes everything this was also my first real experience seeing anything about snm which uh which at the time as a kid was was very confusing and weird yeah other than maybe the gimp and pulp fiction <laughs> right but like seeing this guy who's uh, who's clearly in charge and he is the master, but then he's having these women come whip him. And at the, uh, I remember that being very confusing as a kid. And now I, now that's my life, but. Yeah. <laughs> and then they said that uh, in the book that maybe it was shot on 16 millimeter. So, but they never really say for sure if yeah, it was, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. That it seems like something you would remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it looks like it. it yeah. Even cleaned up in an HD, it definitely looks like 16, but it could just be real crappy uh, tail ends of 35, That, but it looks like 16 to me. And I guess they shot it in like 10 days in the winter of 1975, like all midnight to 6 a.m. shoots in like the basement of a guy who actually was putting on these like S&M shows. It's kind of funny to think about that the Sardu is based on a real person. Yep. <laughs> but also reading reading this book, it seems like uh, it might be a little autobiographical of yep. Joel M. Reed as well. I always like going through the IMDBs for all these just to see if anybody else uh, made any other trauma movies. Yeah. Um, so Joel M. Reed, he put another movie out called G.I. Executioner, which Troma also released. And he had like basically the same band of cr- band of uh, crew for all of his movies. So his mm-hmm. editor, uh, Victor Konevsky, he edited uh, Bloodsucking Freaks, G.I. Executioner. But he also produced and edited um, one called There's Nothing Out There, mm-hmm. which is pretty fun. It's like a, kind of a send up of like slasher alien movie that came out directed there. by his son Rolf Gnesky. It's it's a fun it's pretty funny. That's what I'm going to talk about on this show at some okay. point. Um and then uh the actress who played uh Maya uh Rita Montone, she was in the movie The Children uh and she Okay. Played, 
D.D. Stone. But other than that, I didn't find too many other trauma connections. A lot of a lot of uh, porn actors in, mm-hmm. in this, and theater actors, which is where Sardou came from. Yeah, he's in the Fantastics and Ralphus. He was in uh, the Anal Dwarf, which I tried to track down to even just see a copy online. I've never seen that. Have you Don't ever, worry. Have I, you I've seen got, it? I've got a copy. <laughs> Does it live up to the hype? Well, what? The foot long. Oh, no. I don't know what he's talking about. He, I mean, for, for a dwarf, he's it's he's impressive, but it's it's a pretty normal. <laughs> but I had this VHS compilation that there was an underground video store in Providence that I used to go to when I was in college, and they had um, a compilation called uh, Celebrity Porn, and it was like weird, like softcore clips of people who became famous actors that they were in before they were famous. And then other scenes that are claiming to be uh, famous actors who kind of look like them. Uh, and there was that clip from the anal dwarf was in it and they claimed that it was uh, Hervé Villachez in the tape, but it was not. And I said, that's not fucking Hervé Villachez. That's sorry. That's Ralphus. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> Where's the fact checker for this compilation yeah. tape? So I, I've got that tape somewhere. I'll, I'll digitize it and send it to you. <laughs> Perfect. When the, the movie got put out, uh, Troma made cuts hoping that it would get an R rating, but uh, <laughs> it, it like never got an R rating. So they said that it was R rated and uh, they got sued by the MPAA. <laughs> And trauma had, and that's when they learned that that the they owned the box with the R in it. <laughs> oh right, yep. Um, and then, so this this was like uh, kind of debated in the book um, that Lloyd's Lloyd was saying that uh, the the theater <laughs> um, hired the the activist group Women Against Pornography to picket the movie. Uh, yeah to draw an attention. Joel M. Reed says that Lloyd did it. Lloyd I, could did. See, I could see that being true, but it ended up backfiring on him pretty spectacularly yeah. <laughs> where they actually got the movie pulled and the theater almost lost their license. The The book is pretty interesting. And if you are a fan of Joel M. Reed's movies, you should, you should read it just to yeah. kind of hear some of his stories. He goes into talking about, you know, just like cast, like having constant orgies all the time, but you can't really tell if he's telling the truth or just trying no, to get a good to talk, interview. He seems to talk out of his ass a lot. Yeah. <laughs> the, the big thing I got from, from like reading about it is are him and seeing his interviews. It's like, he seemed like quite the asshole, which, you know, you kind of, he didn't disappoint, I guess. I don't think I want a super friendly dude making blood sucking freaks. <laughs> right. Oh, and, and also we should say Ralphus was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi, which yeah, is the, the f- really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, his wife was too, right? Yeah, I think so. But can you imagine, like, like he's, like, hanging out with, like, Warwick Davis, and they're, like, talking about <laughs> all these other movies, and then he's just like, yeah, yeah. I'm the anal dwarf. <laughs> like, what are you <laughs> I'm Ralphus. He's like, I've eaten an eyeball on film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was cool to see, and maybe this was on the old DVD, but I don't think so. On that new Blu-ray, they have 
the interviews that Eli Roth did with a couple of the cast and crew members in the 90s. Did you watch those yet? Yeah, and those were that, that well, is on the DVD and the new Blu-ray. Oh, is it on the DVD? I didn't remember it. Yeah, and well, he I has like uh, one of the caged women. Yep, and he has Ernie Peicher, the doctor. With the which is funny because the doctor ended up like being a, a principal for like a yeah. high school. I I would have geeked out if my principal was in blood sucking freaks. Like, <laughs> but well, I guess we're talking a lot about the behind the scenes stuff. Um, yeah. Not not so much at yet about like what happened. So if you haven't seen blood sucking freaks, um, yeah, let's just kind of dive into the plot. So. It's about this uh, this guy Ralph or Sardou who owns a theater of the macabre. It's a Grand Guignol um, tor- like theater where they do torture shows, um, and it's off off Broadway in the seventies. So they they torture uh, women in the guise of of making high art. Yes, <laughs> um, and Sardou he looks like a cross between like. Um, Anton LaVey, Ming the Merciless, and like a heroin addict. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a really good description, actually. <laughs> I, I wish I could take credit for that. I saw that somewhere. It's like, I, yeah, like, <laughs> you, you can't. And, and he's, I would, great. he's a really good actor. It's so it's a shame he was like murdered uh, a yeah. couple of years after, after filming this. But he, I bet he would have went on to be one of these cult film icons yeah he's great um yeah he has just like he has a good like british voice that's like been smoking a carton of like menthol cigarettes every day and yeah he's just he just has something cool about him (laughs) like performance wise i wish there was more um and ralphus he's uh his sidekick he's a he's a little person who has a big afro and yep. I was sending one of my friends uh, pictures from the movie as I was watching it. And in one part, he's wearing like a yellow turtleneck and blue overalls. And, uh, and he was like, Oh man, he's like a less irritating minion. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now every time I see a minion, I'm going to think of Ralphus, which that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. In this uh, first time you see uh, Sardu, um, torturing people, they uh, Ralphus is applying thumb screws to a nude woman, and you listen. You listen to a lot of metal, uh, Caleb. Sure. So this speech that Sardu gives at the beginning of the movie is yeah. uh, sampled on like almost every <laughs> every like grindcore band album, at least it's one. Perfect. That are the other like her mouth will make an interesting urinal, like those. Two kids <laughs> on every uh, grindcore album. So Ralphus is applying thumb screws, and then they they uh, put some woman's head in an iron tourniquet and just slowly clamps it away, and then Ralphus rips out her eye. <laughs> yep. And uh, the audience says it, they just think it's a show, and the, in the audience there is a theater critic who he won't even talk about the show because uh, he doesn't want anyone to give Sardou any money. And then there is a football player who's supposed to be Joe Namath, but his name is Maverick in the film. And then a famous ballerina watching the show. So 
I guess in 1970-whatever, going <clears throat> to the S&M Torture Theater was quite the Friday night activity. Absolutely. <laughs> and the theater critic has what, to me, is in the, my top three favorite uh, character names from any movies ever. In no particular order, those character names are Stathis Borens from the remake of The Fly, Moss Garcia from Christmas Evil, and the, the theater critic from Bloodsucking Freaks, whose name is Creasy Silo. Yes. <laughs> I, I had to rewind it because when they said his name, at first I thought it was like Greasy Silo. Yeah. <laughs> Which would also nope. be a, a weird Creasy name. Creasy Silo. What the hell kind of name is Creasy Silo? It's great. <laughs> it, it, I feel like that has to be some sort of inside joke where they're like... Because those aren't even words, let alone names. Creasy <laughs> <laughs> Creasy silo. <laughs> so they all kind of leave, and Sardu is, you know, trying to get money. Uh, but then we see what what's really going on underneath the theater. Sardu has like a cage filled with naked women, where he's, you know, Ralphus is going down there with a torch and a bucket of meat that mm. uh, that I guess they got like at a butcher shop down the way, and you're just throwing make you know meet at students from columbia university <laughs> yeah and then um one thing i thought was kind of interesting because i always wondered the in the movie the kind of the gore and the sex scenes are pretty i mean i guess there's not really sex scenes but just some of the the torturous acts are pretty extreme and i guess the more extreme acts were all done by porn actresses in the movie mm-hmm. Um, like the whippings and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where um, Sardu's eating dinner and candle wax is dripping down um, a woman he's using as a table. So that was a porn actress. But apparently some of these cage actresses, uh, one of them went on to become very famous, but she used a fake name in the movie. So, and no one will give hints on who that is. So I'm just going to say Julia Roberts. Cause that'd be kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> Wait, Joel won't even say who it is? He said that someone here went on to be really famous? Yeah, and in all like the different kind of interviews and like reviews and stuff I've seen, they're like, there's a really famous actress in the cage, but they huh. won't say who it was. So, I mean, it's also pretty good marketing. <laughs> sure. And also, Joel seems to talk so much shit in this book where he's everyone he seems to mention he claims is famous. Yeah. So. Like, I saw this guy. They thought I was famous. <laughs> Man, there's that part in the book, though, like where he's like, this S&M stuff doesn't do anything for me. I wouldn't mind seeing somebody get raped by an animal, though. I like, I had to go back. <laughs> I was like, wait, did I just read what I thought he I was like, yeah. Yeah, did. Yep. <laughs> So this movie's tame. And he says, the only thing that we didn't film in this movie that I wish we did was the corporophagia. <laughs> but that was too extreme for me at the time, which that's really like the only thing missing <laughs> in the movie. Sardu gets the idea uh, to make a big show and he wants this ballerina in there. So he has uh, Sardu or Ralphus go and kidnap this uh, prima ballerina. And he also kidnaps the critic uh, because the, because he made fun of him before. And how they do that is they get Ralphus to hide in little places with a blow dart gun. 
<laughs> so if you didn't have that fear before, and uh, they they torture a bunch of women to um, get the Natalia to to say she'll dance, which um, I have read that John Waters is a fan of this movie, and it wasn't until his last watch. It's kind of the plot of Cecil B. Demented. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so I don't know if he intended for that that reference or if that just always stuck but the kidnapping of an actress and torturing people around him to act in their stuff <laughs> right um well that would have been a good double feature too what did you think of kind of all those like interstitials with uh ralphus and sardu where they're just like playing different games with each other well i i think i mean i think lloyd is right when he says that this movie is kind of more shocking now than it was then. Um, just in the misogyny of it is, is insane. <laughs> yeah. There's other than at the very beginning of the movie, when you see Natasha before she's brainwashed, right. none, of, none of the women in, in the movie seem like they're anything more than just fodder for yeah. Sardu and Ralphus. But it's so, uh, it, it's, I do love the glee of this movie, of, um, of Ralphus's, when he does his little dances to celebrate everything. And the, the relationship between Ralphus and Sardu, even without the, uh, the extra blowjob scene, is, is fascinating. It, it's kind of, it's crazy, just that scene in there. Like, I have such a different feeling of this movie yeah, because the scene that they added with with him saying "I love you" and all that, then it's yeah. it's it's like oh, it's almost like a weird dating relationship when they're playing like backgammon and chopping off women's fingers yeah. or, or darts with the human dartboard. So, <laughs> um, and then there's the infamous scene with the dentist who oh, it's the the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> He, uh, there's this dentist who, um, comes in, he's a doctor, or I guess he's a doctor, not a dentist. He comes in to make sure that Natasha isn't going to die. And instead of paying him, they let him torture, uh, one of the women in the cage and he pulls out all her teeth. And because then, he's really always wanted to be a dentist or did he say my mother always wanted to Yeah. Be. He said, mommy always wanted to make me a dentist. Or right. wanted me to be a dentist. And then he cuts off her hair, shaves her head, and drills a hole through the top of her head. And I remember that seeing that the first time. Just like, it's, it doesn't look real, but it's still pretty unnerving, that hole. Yeah, like when Bill goes in, you can see the, the latex twirling around with it and stuff. But it, it's pretty gross. It's still yeah. pretty gross. Now. And then, yeah, he puts a straw in there and start sucking at her brains and blowing bubbles while, you know, singing the opera. opera. <laughs> yep. That, and that scene was kind of, kind of weird. And I wanted to know what you thought about it. So Ralphus and Sardu, um, they're watching him uh, do this and they, they just get disgusted uh, yep. by what he's doing. And I wanted to know what you thought about why, like, why would this be <clears throat> the thing that pushes them over the top? Well, because I think Ralph, I mean, uh, Sardu thinks that what he's doing is art 
and when he's torturing these women on stage, it's a, it's a performance that's meant for an audience and that it means something and it's art. And he thinks that this, um, that this doctor is just uh, vulgar for, for doing these things for his own pleasure. I would agree with that. The, the thing that, that makes me like it, not think that a little bit is just all like when they're playing backgammon and chopping off the women's fingers just for the hell of yeah, it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But Blue I mean, that makes the, hair, but. <laughs> it makes the most sense. Um, did uh, you listen to on the trauma DVD and it's on the Blu-ray Eli Roth uh, commentary? No, I listened to it back when the DVD first came out and I, 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 I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Roth. I didn't listen to the whole thing back then because I remember at the time just thinking, who's this fucking guy? What, <laughs> what, what, do, what do I need some guy who's my age to, telling me about Bloodsucking Freaks? So, uh, no, I haven't heard his whole commentary. I watched, the, I watched the, the new interview with him, which was actually really good. It, his commentary, it, it should be something I, I feel like everyone who's a fan of the movie should listen to. Because yeah. it's really funny, especially if you've gone to a film school where they're like dissecting Citizen Kane. He yeah. um, he just starts pulling out all these like kind of film school things about blood sucking freaks, which like trying trying to be funny or for is he being serious? He's, he's playing it very serious, but <clears throat> the stuff he's saying is absolutely ridiculous. Like there's a scene where Natasha is wearing a yellow and blue leotard and he was like that is the dark represents sardou and the yellow represents ralphus and then cutting it off of her is the joining of the flesh and then coming together like very film uh-huh. professor type stuff but he's okay. dead dead panning it through the whole thing he's like and then just you know behind the scenes he's like he's like you could see where filmmakers like gabriel friedman got the inspiration from Joel. And so, you know, like, he's just like, like Gabe at the time was just editing for trauma. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, you should listen to it. And then also another, like hard to tell, cause in the new interview, he talks about reaching out to all these um, people he found like on Yahoo search who were in the movie. So he, he uh, cuts their stories in with, with kind of like the film theory that <laughs> that he created for blood sucking freaks as another uh you know unreliable narrator for <laughs> yeah. the making of the movie. I'll have to go back and listen to it now. It's yeah, as a piece on its own, it's pretty funny. And it's crazy too, because that was before Cabin Fever or anything. Yeah, he wasn't even a filmmaker yet. That's why I uh, at the time I remember just thinking, who is why do I need to hear this? But I remember when Cabin Fever came out, I was like, wait a minute, why does that guy's name sound familiar? It's blood and guts expert Eli Roth. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I guess he did know what he was talking about back then. <laughs> and then there's a scene where they're trying to uh, convince Natasha to uh, join where they, they are caning a, a woman um, as she is holding a rope in her mouth in the guillotine. And uh, I guess Joel M. Reed said he, uh, in the book, that he was doing some of the caning on there. So when uh, people are upset about Quentin Tarantino choking out his actress, 
fucking inglorious bastards. <laughs> this uh, it, I, jewelry did it first. Yeah, you took it maybe a step further, <laughs> and I thought it was funny um, that the the detective uh, subplot, like you have this uh, this greasy cop named Tucci, and uh, he's he's just a crooked cop, but you find out he's just a huge ballet nerd. Yep. <laughs> like something I never really caught on before, but like watching it this last time is pretty funny. <laughs> um, and then he's like, well, I read in Variety that Natasha is actually acting in Sardou's show. <laughs> and it's like, why is this, you know, beat cop in New York City in the 70s reading Variety? <laughs> yeah. Cuts to the, the big show that uh, Sardou has called The Artist, Seduction and Death of a Critic, where Natasha does absolutely terrible ballet. Yes. And, but she's topless, and she kicks uh, Creasy Silo to death. Kick to death on stage, yep. Maverick and the cop decide to, you know, bust up the operation after the show, and they let all the cannibal women out, and they, it, they eat, eat all of our... I guess the people we've been, can't call them heroes, but the people we've been following and ends with probably one of the best final shots ever in a movie. A big, big old dick hot dog bun. Yeah. Big old penis sandwich. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. This movie is definitely more offensive. <laughs> like as the years go on. <laughs> it is. And what's crazy to think, and I, I do this all the time now cause I'm old, but even more so now, when I think about when I first saw it, it was probably 1989 or something. The movie was only 15 years old and it seemed fucking ancient. Yeah. And that's like now, I don't even know, saying like, oh, uh, American Pie. Like Saw <laughs> or something like that. Like, yeah. Um, so seeing that this movie's now like 45 years old. And yeah, I think it was probably played a lot. Fun. Well, I don't know if it played funnier back then, but it's way more offensive to have cagefuls of naked women now than it was back then. And I think it, they, they could get away with saying it was a joke a lot more back then. Whereas I think if this movie came out now, you'd get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> it, I was thinking like how crazy that would, I mean, it's crazy that they showed it on Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah anyways like it seems like that would really offend people but he added context like i just want them to do like what they did for like titanic or avatar just re-release this in the theaters with no context it'd be amazing <laughs> lloyd says like if they were to go back and have that opportunity again they would definitely second guess putting this movie out uh, but they That's still probably would dream, but I, and I wonder how much of that though is probably just the drama of dealing with Joel M. Reed. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think uh, Lloyd's been Lloyd probably had to deal with a, a bitching Joel Reed for 30 years until he died. Yeah. And he, he died last year from COVID. Yeah. So he never, which sucks. The, the book is probably the closest we'll get to, uh, commentary, yeah. Joel and Reed, because Troma didn't want to pay to have that commentary done. Um, Joel, M., uh, 
you know, word on the street is Joel M. Reed was asking for the money he felt like he was owed yeah. from Troma, which wasn't a lot, um, but Troma is too much for Troma to pay. And, you know, there's probably some interesting stories that we're not going to hear because of yeah. I was. Were you friends with him on Facebook? I was friends with him. I was too. It was like, oh man, it's Joel M. Reed. Yep. And then it was a lot of out of focus cell phone pictures. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then uh, just stories from like him being in a Korean war vet. That's really all he posted on, on Facebook. And towards the end of his life, um, he talked more about the movies he made, which I know there was a, there's a c- couple documentaries. There's one that's out now. I just found out about it's on, I think, uh, it's like Reed Unbound, uh, just about Joel M. Reed, and then uh, Kevin Michaels, who worked on Poultry Geist, apparently is making one as well. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see more about his life because he, this, uh, from everything I've read, this is the more extreme of all of his movies that he's made. I've yeah, seen- I saw Night of the Zombies 20 years ago, and I remember it not being especially good. And I tried to watch G.I. Executioner on, on Troma Now, and it was pretty tough. I own G.I. Executioner, and I think I watched the trailer. I'm like, well, this will be one I'll, I'll revisit when, it, uh, when I get to like episode like 300 or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have his movie Bloodbath, which is another horror movie and the cover for that is basically the poster for blood sucking freaks but it's there's not very much gore in it and it's it almost feels like a amicus anthology film which is okay. weird to say but not it that also makes it sound a lot better than it is but if i had to compare it to something it'd be like an amicus anthology all right and then he never did anything again. What was uh, he never did anything past the early eighties, right? Yeah, which I I wonder how much of that is his world being so intertwined with the adult film industry, and then when right. that switched to video, I wonder how much of that kind of has halted his productions. All right, so at at Caleb's theater, we just showed. Blood sucking freaks. What would be your double feature? Well, in between Blood Sucking Freaks and the second feature, we would show the trailer for Hamburger the Rapist. Hamburger, the club owner. Ladies and gentlemen, Madame and Monsieur, welcome to the world famous Downtown Boner, where you will see some of the most amazing acts ever presented on this stage or any other. The Swindler. Hey, those are my frogs. Yeah, they're my frogs. <laughs> Hamburger the Strangler. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but this time, he's gone too far. Hope you enjoyed your happy meal. <laughs> Haunted by his own girls. Can't believe he killed Picante. We're gonna get that piece of shit. Haunted by the FBI. I got the place surrounded. Whoa, you got it surrounded all by yourself? Psh. Don't worry about it. Wanted by the IRS. God damn it, Vince! Wanted by the super police. Stop! Wanted 
by the French Mafia. Je vous Girl, you must, you must, you must catch up with him. Hamburger. He pisses for destiny, but fucks for revenge. Burger baby, who's the burger baby? Hommage, Chevrolet, Coupe de Ville. We can't go on. We have to go on stage. Therapeutic. It's Stockholm Syndrome for the poor girls when the gators come home to rape their dear master. Coming soon to go fuck yourself. Because uh, that's also about a performance troupe, but in the, in that one, one of the dancers is raped and murdered, and then the other girls all band together to hunt down Hamburger, who is played by Dookie Flyswatter, who is the the stardew of Hamburger the Rapist. So that would play in the middle. It couldn't be a double feature because there is no movie. There's only a trailer. And Dookie uh, Fleischwater, for those out there, he plays Mengele in Surf Nazis Must Die. Yeah, and he um, wrote, um, um, what was the sequel to Blood Feast? Uh, Blood, uh, Blood Diner. Diner. Yep. And, and, which is funny because you filmed the trailer in the California um, it, like Institute for Abnormal Arts, which yeah. is owned by Carl Crew, who's in Blood Diner. Yes. And Dookie's also the lead singer of Haunted Garage, who are awesome. Uh, anyway, so yeah, the middle middle of the double feature in in the trailers would be Hamburger the Rapist, but then the second feature would be King of Comedy. And what I'm thinking is I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance. You know what I mean? You don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. So will you please give your warmest greetings to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin. His name is Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Oh, Jerry, I love this guy. Always coming up with these great lines. I love him. I love him. Nobody can remember his name. Mr. Pipkin. Mr. Pupnik. Mr. Puffer. Rupert Pupkin, P-U-P-K-I-N. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, 
in a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. Which I know is a, a weird choice. Uh, tone a weird choice. But, uh, I mean, if you look at the plots, Bloodsucking Freaks is about a struggling artist who's trying to put on a show and when he can't get the performer he wants to be in his show he kidnaps her and forces her and then when he can't get a critic to write about it he kidnaps the critic and forces him to be involved and then king of comedy is of course about a horrible stand-up comedian uh, rupert pupkin and all he wants to be is on the jerry langford show which is supposed to be like the tonight show and when he can't get anyone to pay attention to his comedy he kidnaps Jerry Langford and the ransom is that they have to allow him to perform his horrible stand-up comedy on TV. And even though he's terrible and he gets arrested and goes to jail at the end, he then gets out and is, it worked and he's famous. When, when you suggested King of Comedy, I was like, oh, I kind of just want to rent out a theater to do that double feature <laughs> it would be cool well, at first i was thinking taxi driver because of all the it's you know the same area as bloodsucking freaks and it's the same time period as bloodsucking freaks and there's a lot of the same you know gross 1975 new york exteriors of steam coming out of things and uh and then i thought well king of comedy would be better um, the I looked up through the IMDb credits just to see if there's any uh, trauma connections there. So one of the PAs, uh, Guy J. Lathon, he was a PA on Lloyd's movie Stuck on You. Okay. Um, the negative cutter, uh, Donna Bessette, she uh, was the negative cutter on the last horror film. Uh, Ralph Monaco, who plays Raymond Wirtz, he uh, plays Jerry in Zombie Island Massacre. And then Robert De Niro is in uh, the trauma movie that Brian De Palma directed, The Wedding Party. Yeah. So yeah. you did more homework than me. <laughs> Man, that was a that was a grueling IMDb to go to because you click. I clicked on each person, and it's like fuck. They have two hundred credits under their name. <laughs> so that was uh, that was fun. <laughs> uh, my double feature. I thought I would go if you could say that bloodsucking freaks would fit in perfectly into the gritty Nolan, uh, Christopher Nolan, Batman universe. Yep. Uh, this other one would fit perfectly in the Adam West Batman universe as a bad guy. Uh, 1970 Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, Wizard of Gore. We're about to show you a few scenes of this movie, which is called the wizard of gore. For those of you who appreciate this type of cinematic art, you will see the most startling scenes of their type ever filmed. But for those of you with heart conditions or who are with young and impressionable children, we ask that you turn around in your seats or leave this auditorium for the next two minutes. Thank you. <laughs> of illusion. Your eyes may see, but your mind may refuse to believe. Permit me to show you a few of the tricks I perform. 
in the Wizard of Gore. just seen. No. You see, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out. motion picture of all time, The Wizard of Gore. This film will take its place in motion picture history as a milestone of extraordinary achievement. Never before have the weird, the eerie, the astonishing, the bewildering been shown in so stunning a film. Behind the facade of a normal world lies another world whose grisly mystery brings panic to some, satisfaction to others. An astounding achievement in bizarre, amazing theater, The Wizard of Gore. I don't know if I believe this or not, but Joel M. Reed says he is, was not aware of Herschel Gordon Lewis until after Bloodsucking Freaks came out. I believe that. I mean, I don't think Herschel Gordon Lewis really if you weren't a teenager in the 60s or a teenager when VHS came out in the 80s, I, I believe you, he could have gone without knowing who Herschel Gordon-Lewis was. He, he was an adult in New York in the 70s. I, I believe it. It's, it's pretty funny how similar um, the stories yeah, really are. Uh, Wizard of Gore follows Montag the Great, or Montag the Magnificent, who... He's a stage magician where he uh, brings women up on stage and dismembers them. And then it turns out they're all okay until they leave the, the theater and uh, they die the same way they died on stage, whether it's like with a metal press or getting chopped with a chainsaw. And the blood in Wizard of Gore and Bloodsucking Freaks is that, you know, just like, kind of fun Technicolor tempura paint. Yeah. So. That would be a killer double feature. And you were saying, because we were talking about uh, double features, that in college you wrote a paper on uh, Wizard of Gore and Bloodsucking Freaks. I did. I, I don't remember. I, I, was I was said I went to art school, and I took a, um, I think it was for a performance art class or something, and we had to write a paper 
about how one art movement from a long time ago affected a, another art movement from a different time or something like that. So I wrote about the parallels of the Grand Guignol and Blood and how they how they inspired and um, turned into things like Bloodsucking Freaks and Wizard of Gore. That's it's the two movies are pretty are pretty you know complementary of each other. Sure. Uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis's movie is definitely though a little a lot sillier, like you know slapstick. I would almost say as opposed to Bloodsucking Freaks. And Bloodsucking Freaks, as much as it, it, it's pretty well made, and Herschel's movies, as much as they are fun, are not no. really as <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least in Wizard of Agor, as opposed to like Blood Feast, he's getting better at coverage. Yeah. But his continuity is still something. His continuity is light and sound. It's all pretty, pretty low end. And uh, like Bloodsucking Freaks for, for a shitty movie. It, <laughs> It looks it looks okay. It sounds the sound is good, which is always the one of the telling signs if you're watching a crappy movie is if you can't hear anything and the sound in that is good and has a really interesting score. I think they people get a lot more talent uh, trying hard. Yeah, to, to do their jobs in Bloodsucking Freaks than in Wizard of War. <laughs> I would agree. Well, I think that about wraps up uh, this episode. Is there any what's new new for for you, Caleb? Anything new coming out? Anything new? I got a new screenplay I just finished that I can't get anyone to read. Um, so, <laughs> adapted a novel, um, and someone I owe credit to someone, and I cannot think of who it is. I don't remember who it is. Someone wrote a review of this novel and said this needs to get turned into a movie directed by Caleb Emerson. Oh shit! <laughs> okay, well I have to read this novel now. So I ordered, I ordered it and it's amazing. And I optioned it from the, from the writer and I, I adapted it. It's called night of the assholes. And it is a um, direct parody of night of the living dead, except instead of zombies, everyone in the world is turning into assholes. Not, not, not like anatomical buttholes, but just like annoying shitty people. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's fucking hilarious. And, I think if the right person reads it, 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 it could, I don't. I don't want to do this as a micro budget. I think it needs to be sort of a real movie. Um, and I, I've entered that into a bunch of uh, screenwriting competitions, and I'm trying to trying to get it into someone's hands, and I'm not having any luck. Shockingly, not a lot of people want to read a script called "Night of the Assholes," but <laughs> I I'll do. send it. Sounds fun. Want to read it back? Buy, buy the book, but also I'll send you the screenplay if you want to read it. I do, yeah, send that to me. <laughs> uh, it's written by Evan Donahue. He's one of the big name, bigger name guys in the bizarro fiction world, which is like a, I don't know if you're familiar, but a, a, sort of a new, a new form of uh, surrealism where it's just real bonkers, uh, sometimes kind of nonsense, but great uh, fiction. And this one, it went off on a lot of tangents that I trimmed, that I trimmed down to make it a little closer to the night of the living dead uh original but it's real weird and surreal and and funny and aside from that i'm just out here i'm an editor this is my day job and uh just editing tv awesome and where can people follow you on the social medias uh you follow me on facebook it's just under my name caleb emerson and i have a uh instagram too and i share my paintings there i'm also i paint 
I said I went to art school. I show in some galleries around LA. You can check out my check out my weird art. Some of it's on my website too, CalebEmerson.com. Awesome. And uh, you can follow me at Lego Larry on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow the show on Twitter at Talking Trauma. And as always, stay traumatized.